Tere, and welcome back to a History of Estonia podcast, episode 27, The Matra Rebellion. I have been using the book History of Estonia by Matti Lauer, Tonis Lucas, Ein Mestalu, Agupayer, and Tonu Tonberg as a guide to follow the timeline of the history of Estonia as they presented it in this book. I started by loosely using the book and filling in a lot of information from other sources. As I've gotten further into this timeline, I've started using the book more and more, quoting it verbatim in many cases. I will continue to do this in the second half of the book until we are finished with the book and then I will continue with the Estonian Stories episodes that will be the future of the podcast. Doing standalone episodes on events, people, and places that I find interesting about Estonian history. And there is a lot to cover, and I am looking forward to this eventually getting to be the standard of the podcast. I have also found that Tonu Tonberg has written many other books on Estonian history, and one specifically with the title of History of Estonia from 1918 to 2017, covers the period we are getting ready to cover in more detail. Since you obviously do have an interest in Estonian history, please consider purchasing a copy. My wife, Eve, and I recently completed an episode on Kreutzfeld's Puhiakon, or Northern Toad. This idea came about when we were rummaging through our book collection and found an old book of Eve's from childhood. We translated it and posted an episode from it. The downside is that because of its length, 37 minutes, it won't post to many pod hosting sites from Anchor, the site I use to produce the podcast. I would invite those that would like to listen to it to visit History of Estonia's Facebook page, and there you can find a link to this episode. But you can also see the beautiful illustrations from this book that I've uploaded to the page. The illustrations are, as one commenter described it, as fanciful. So, if you have a child in your life and you want to listen to a translated Estonian folk tale about a giant toad's destructive rampages and a young man's quest to save the world with the help of magic, please visit the new Facebook page and feel free to leave a comment. I hope to be using the Facebook page to communicate and post pictures, maps, or anything relevant to the podcast or Estonian history in general. In our last episode of our timeline, we have just covered the emancipation from serfdom, and we were covering developments in Estonian society in the middle of the 19th century. I left off from right before the Matra War, which was more of a rebellion to tell the truth. I stopped at this spot because I was hoping to travel back to Estonia and visit the Matra Museum, which I have pre previously visited, and I wanted to record an in-depth description of the events, as the museum does describe wonderfully, explain in great detail most of the events that took place. But because of COVID, I have been unable to travel back to Estonia as planned. In the future, hopefully at some point, this will happen because I believe it's an interesting story that should be told in more detail. 
if you ever find yourself in Estonia, and more specifically, Ropla County, I recommend that you stop in and check out the museum. In both economic and social development, North Estonia and Saarama remained about 15 to 20 years behind South Estonia. After the publication of the 1856 Peasant Regulation, peasant unrest increased there as well. The peasants who looked over the text mistakenly believed that additional labor was no longer compulsory. The peasants of Kuriso and Ania manors in Haryu region, who traveled to Tallinn to check the legislation, were publicly flogged at the Tallinn marketplace instead. In the spring of 1858, the peasants of some of the ten manors in Haryu, Yarva, and Viruma regions refused to perform statute labor. Military units were summoned, and the peasants were punished by corporal punishment. On the morning of 2nd June, about a thousand local peasants encircled the unit sent to the manor of Matra parish in Yuru, demanding the soldiers leave immediately. The dispute soon turned into a bloody encounter. The killed and wounded from both sides were left on the battlefield of the Matra War. An officer of the Russian army was also killed in the battle. Rebellious peasants were also court-martialed, with 40 peasants sentenced to corporal punishment. Two of them were sentenced to 1,000 lashes, which was considered lethal. This was followed by exile for life in Siberia, including a lengthy stint at labor camps. The new passport regulation, enforced in 1863, gave the peasantry full freedom of movement within the borders of the Russian Empire. This brought about extensive immigration from Estonia. The number of Estonians who left their native country reached tens of thousands. In the second half of the 19th century, Estonian colonies were established on the Volga River, in Crimea, in the Caucasus, and even on the Pacific coast. However, most immigrants settled in the immediate vicinity of Estonia. According to the 1897 census, some 64,000 Estonians lived in the province of St. Petersburg, 12,000 in the city itself, and 25,000 Estonians in the province of Piskov, which included the Petchery district. One of the promoters of immigration Johann Leinberg, the so-called Prophet Maltzvet, gathered many people, mostly from the parishes of Kusalu, who hoped to settle in Crimea. They abandoned their farms and waited in vain for the white ship, promised by Leinberg, that would take them uh, from Lasnamai. Many of those who left for the promised land returned as the real situation at the new location was not as fabulous as hoped. This reduced the interest in immigration significantly. The Craneholm factory, founded in Narva in 1858, became the biggest industrial enterprise in Estonia. The raw material, cotton, was imported from America and Egypt by ships. The product, spun cotton, was sent mostly to Russia, where cotton clothes were made. 
The location of the factory was chosen primarily because of the possibility to use hydroelectricity generated from the fall of the Narva River. Until the last decade of the 19th century, Narva remained the most important industrial center in Estonia. Today, the Craneholm factory still stands, but in a somewhat neglected state. Narvagate, the owner of the Craneholm factory, has submitted a request to the Cultural Affairs Committee of the Rigikogu that the Manufacture Cultural Quarter Project be included among the state-supported cultural project in Narva. Within the framework of the project, the second and third floors of the oldest Craneholm factory, Vana Kestru Vabarik, will be repaired to host cultural events. The ground floor will remain at the disposal of private businesses. Trade was lively at the seaports of Tallinn and Pernu. The latter was most important in the flax trade. Most of the flax exported from Estonia was undressed. Although the percentage of Estonians among townspeople grew steadily, they usually were relegated to the more laborious and less profitable occupations. Those Estonians who managed to become owners of shops or independent craftsmen were considered successful. At the same time, those Estonians who were better off tried to behave like Germans in every way and were ashamed of their origin. Such Estonians were called wannabe Germans or juniper Germans. As the wealth of peasants grew, the economic development of the country received a new impetus. Farmers no longer wanted to walk in soft heelless shoes, but wore boots. Light from a pine splinter or tallow candle was replaced by oil lamp, bought in town. Gradually, mass-produced goods started to replace homemade cloth and folk costumes. Spiritual Life in Estonia in the First Half of the 19th Century In the 19th century, Estonian culture was still divided into two parts, the Baltic-German high culture and peasant culture of the native Estonian people. Baltic-German cultural life was continuously connected with the spiritual trends and developments in Western Europe, mostly in Germany which in turn influenced the culture of Estonians. In the 19th century, the traditional peasant culture started to disintegrate and the influence of European culture increased. During the Great Northern War, the possibility to attain higher education in Estonia was disrupted for nearly a century. Tsar Paul I, who was enthroned in 1796, decided to close the state borders firmly in order to prevent the insurrection movement of the French Revolution from spreading to the empire. Starting from 1798, Russian subjects were no longer allowed to study in Western institutions. As new universities were founded in Russia, Tartu University was reopened in 1802 at the start of the reign of Tsar Alexander I. Like under Swedish rule, there were four faculties in the reopened Tartu University. The faculties of theology, law, medicine, and philosophy. 
Most of the students came from the Baltic provinces. Foreigners and young men from Russia studied there as well. The languages of tuition at Tartu was German and Latin. Teachers from Germany brought with them the ideas of the Enlightenment, which were supported by the liberal-minded Alexander I. The close friendship of George Frederick Parrott, the first rector of the university, with the Tsar guaranteed the university extensive autonomy and financial support. Within a short time, the main building of the university, the observatory on Tome Hill, the anatomical laboratory and clinic were completed. A library was built on the ruins of Dome Church. Dome Hill was also renovated. Tartu University soon became a recognized center of science and education in Europe. Astronomer Wilhelm Struve, physicist Moritz Hermann Jacobi, founder of embryology Karl Ernst von Baer, and other scientists of renown were active in Tartu. In 1828 to 1839, the Professor's Institute functioned at the university. More than 20 scholars who graduated from the institute started to work as teachers in other universities of the Russian Empire. Only a few Estonians are known to have studied in Tartu at the first half of the 19th century, most of them Germanized. Most of the Baltic German cultural life concentrated around Tartu University. An art school was opened at the university, taught by Karl August Senf a graphic artist and copper engraver from Dresden. The curriculum of the art school provided a good basis for further studies at major European art institutes. Aside from the university, the manor of Radi, where the intellectual elite of the day gathered, also became a center of fine arts. In Tallinn, the Tallinn Museum Society and the Provincial Museum became centers of art from the middle of the century. Painter Gerhard Franz von Kugelgen from Rhineland was the best-known artist in Tallinn. Various societies also played an important part of cultural life in the 19th century. Society movements, including academic, scientific, and agricultural societies, as well as student fraternities, choirs, clubs, charity organizations, and funds, there were more than 50 different Baltic German societies active in Estonia, which contributed to the preservation of identity, as well as the economic and political control over the local population. In the first half of the 19th century, the classicist style, which was first featured in manor architecture in Saku, Aspere, and Reikulu, held prominence in Baltic German architecture. Post offices and inns were built in the classical style. In towns, buildings activities spread from the medieval town centers to suburbs. The architectural appearance of Tallinn was influenced by the fact that in 1857, the town was excluded from the list of fortifications and parks were created on several of the bastions. Wooden suburbs started to develop outside the park zones. The school reform carried out in Russian in the early 19th century 
established the basic four-level comprehensive schooling comprised of the parish and county schools in districts, secondary schools in provincial towns, and university throughout the empire. The Baltic provinces and Finland formed one education district with Tartu University as the center. In Tallinn and Tartu, there were gymnasia, where pupils acquired extensive knowledge in ancient languages, literature, and history. County schools were established in all towns, and pupils were taught mathematics, natural science, and geography for two to three years. Elementary schools formed the lowest level of town schools, where children were taught how to read, write, and do basic math. The road to education for Estonian peasants began at community schools, followed by parish schools. However, a regular network of schools developed only after the emancipation of serfs. As a result of the 1840s conversion movement, Orthodox peasant schools were founded in South Estonia. In North Estonia, a stable network of schools developed only after the 1870s. Gaps in public education were compensated by Sunday and reformatory schools and with traveling teachers. In 1828, a training institute for elementary school teachers was founded in Tartu to prepare teachers for public schools. It was the first educational institute of the kind in the Russian Empire. In the middle of the century, teachers in community schools were prepared by 10 seminars. In Volga, a German training institute headed by Janis Simze prepared parish school teachers in Estonia and Livonia. In the parish of Pilitzvere, compulsory school attendance was established as early as 1854. In the 1870s to 1880s, this demand became normal throughout Estonia. Thanks to public schools, almost all peasants were able to read, and at least 30 to 40 percent was able to write in the 1880s. In the first half of the 19th century, the written word in the native language was characterized by the growth of secular literature. Almanacs had spread secular writings earlier, and in the middle of the 19th century, some 10 almanacs were published regularly. In 1806, the Tartu Ma Rafa or the Tartu District Weekly, the first Estonian language newspaper in the Tartu dialect was published. Otto Wilhelm Messing published Marhwafa Nadalahlet, Country Folks Weekly. Sorry for the bad pronunciations. In 1821 to 1823 and 1825, and Friedrich Reinhold Kreutzfeld edited the journal Ma Ilm. Ya Munda, Misael says Leda On, The World and What Could Be Found There, in 1848 to 1849. Johannes Valdemar Janssen laid the foundations to the regular Estonian press with the, with the beacon to publish the weekly 
Perno Postimes, in 1857. In this next section, we're going to talk about Estophiles, which are people that are fascinated by Estonian culture and language. And if you consider yourself one, there is an Estophile community in Facebook that I recommend. The growing interest in exotic and minority peoples in Europe launched the Estophile movement in Estonia. The Estophiles, Baltic Germans interested in Estonia, studied the Estonian language and culture, published fiction of considerable artistic level, newspapers, textbooks for schools, and founded various scientific societies. A lectureship of the Estonian language was founded at Tartu University. First-generation Estonian intellectuals such as Kreutzwald, Dietrich Heinrich Jurgensen, and Friedrich Robert Falkman also participated in the estophile activities of the Baltic Germans. The, ro the role of Falkman, who gathered a group of Estonian students while studying in the Faculty of Medicine, was especially remarkable. On the initiative of Falkman, the Estonian Learned Society was founded in Tartu in 1838, which set the promotion of knowledge of Estonia, its history and present-day language, literature, and the country inhabited by Estonians as its aim. In 1842, the Estonian Literary Society was founded in Tallinn as another major estophile organization. The two organizations also supported financially and morally the publication of two masterpieces of Estonian national literature, an anthology of Estonian folk songs by Alexander Heinrich Neuss and the national epic Kalavipoig. The popular edition of the epic was published in 1863. Some intellectuals of Estonian origin took positions in Russia. For example, the painter Johann Koller and Dr. Philip Karel, who became the, the court physician of Tsar Nicholas I and Tsar Alexander II. They kept in touch with their native land and played a remarkable role in the Estonian national movement. Beside the few Estonian top intellectuals, Public school teachers formed the basic core of the developing national intelligentsia. They also became one of the main driving forces of the national movement. And that is where we will leave this episode. In next episode, we're going to cover the national awakening, which is extremely critical to the foundation of the Estonian state today. And so, until we meet next time... Nagamisini.